Hello, this is Joshua Schmidt coming back to another episode of the Nerd Assassins podcast. If you find these episodes useful or interesting, please hit subscribe in your podcast feed. In these episodes lately, I've been going over crypto and blockchain, which is something that's completely new to me, in order to take an hour just researching and learning and then sharing what I learned with you guys. In today's hour, I really looked into Ethereum what its core tenets are, and what are all the components that make up the Ethereum chain. Ethereum was built to be an alternative to Bitcoin for building decentralized applications. It has different trade-offs, so it can be used for different use cases. There's a few things they put emphasis on. One is rapid development time. They want to be able to iterate quickly to make Ethereum better. Also, they put a strong emphasis on security even for small or rarely used applications. So because security is built into it, these small applications aren't used very often, don't have to worry about building all that security. And the other thing is I wanted to make sure that apps could easily interact with each other. It accomplishes all of these emphases by abstracting away the blockchain into a programming language. So something like Namecoin that's used for domain names could be written in just two lines of code. Our currencies could be written in less than 20 lines of code. They have these smart contracts, which are like crypto boxes, and a value which only unlocks when certain conditions are met. So this is another thing that you can build using this programming language. There are five core tenets that Ethereum goes over in its white paper. First is simplicity. The protocol should be as simple as possible. This might mean that even though they could get better storage or time complexities, they're not going to do that. Instead, they're going to reject that in order to keep it simple. An average programmer could follow the whole thing through. They want this to be one of their core tenants so that people can see the unprecedented potential in these blockchains. There may be optimizations that would add complexity, but they're gonna reject them unless the benefit is substantial. The second core tenet is universality. There is no features to Ethereum. It's just a programming language that can run whatever can be thought up and mathematically defined. The third core tenet is modularity. This is a common requirement that you have for clean code. Basically, what Ethereum wants to do is make sure if they write something clever or novel, a different crypto ecosystem like Bitcoin could go ahead and take that piece of code and the cryptocurrency ecosystem can benefit from this Ethereum design. The fourth core tenet is agility. The details are not set in stone. If there's a modification which can be beneficial, they don't want to slow down the progress. That goes back to the rapid development time that it says with an emphasis before. And the fifth core tenet is non-discrimination and non-censorship. The protocol will make sure not to actively restrict or prevent any categories of usage. Again, those five core tenets, simplicity, universality, modularity, agility, and last, non-discrimination and censorship. Ethereum has this concept of accounts. Each account has four possible fields in it. The nonce, the counter to make sure that each transaction can only process once. 
So each transaction has this unique number attached to it to make sure you don't double count it. A second field is the Ether balance, the count of how much is in the account, how much Ether do you have in your account. The third is a contract code, which only is in certain accounts, and we'll go over that in a bit, and storage, which is empty by default. Ether is the internal crypto fuel, and it's used to pay transaction fees. People are familiar with transaction fees like credit card processing fees. When you go into the DMV and you pay with a credit card, they might charge you a transaction fee. Externally owned accounts, accounts that are owned by a user, those are controlled by private keys. These ones will not have any codes. So when we went over the contract code, an externally owned account has no code involved in it. These externally owned accounts can send messages by creating and signing a transaction. The second type of account is a contract account. These are controlled by their contract code. So an externally owned account does not have any code, but the key component to a contract account is this code. Every time this code receives a message, every time this contract account receives a message, this code will activate and it may read or write to this internal storage and send messages or even create other contracts. So these contracts can be thought of as, sort of as many pieces of code. They execute anytime the account is poked by receiving a message or a transaction. So anytime any message gets sent to it, it just blindly starts running this code. The contract, the contract accounts can also control their own balance and storage. So we talked a little bit about messages and transactions. A transaction, which we talked about as the thing the externally owned account can sign and send out. This is a signed packet of data. It includes a few pieces of information, six different pieces of information actually. It includes the recipient, who am I sending this transaction to, the sender ID, who's the person that created this transaction, the ether amount that it wants to transfer from the sender to the recipient, how much money, how much currency am I about to send out from me to the recipient. There's an optional data field. So a lot of times this can be empty, but if you need to put any sort of data into it, this is a sort of free form and it helps you be able to write smart contracts. And then the fifth and sixth piece of a transaction is the start gas value and the gas price value, which are these new concepts. We have to dive a little deeper in them. The first three, the recipient, the sender ID, and the amount to transfer are standard fields that you'd expect in any crypto. But Ethereum is concerned about denial of service attacks. This is somebody spamming an account to, in order to consume its resources. So you can imagine if I have an arbitrary piece of code, somebody could just send it a ton of transactions and just have it use a bunch of computation, a bunch of bandwidth, a bunch of storage, so that way I can't process any other transactions besides all of these ones getting sent to me. In order to prevent this, whether it was done accidentally or by a hostile person, the sender has to pay a fee in order to use the contract. This is where that start gas and gas price comes in. Start gas is the max number of computation steps the transaction is allowed to take. This prevents something from accidentally running forever in a loop. A computation generally costs one gas but they can be more expensive if you're going to use a lot of computation or storage if it's something really complex. 
and then the gas price is the fee the sender will pay per computational step. So this is that processing fee, that transaction fee. So all of that gets bundled into a transaction. Messages are similar to a transaction, but instead of being created by an external account, they're created by a contract account. They still have a sender, a recipient, and an ether amount. They also still have the optional data field and they have a start gas, the maximum number of computational steps it's going to make. Note that the gas fee is still paid by the original transaction. Even if I have a smart contract, I'm about to send this over to another smart contract to do some steps on, that gas that I'm going to pay comes from the original caller. So what does it look like when a transaction's happening? First, the smart contract checks to make sure that the transaction is valid and well-formed. It has all the pieces that it needs and I can read it. Next, the sender, next we need to check that the sender has enough ether to pay the total gas bill. The gas bill are those two fields, the start gas and the gas price multiplied together. Next, there's a fee just for how big the message is that you're sending. So we'll subtract that fee out. The fee is actually five gas per byte of message size. The fourth step will then transfer the transaction value from the sender to the receiver. We'll then run the contract code to completion or until you run out of gas. If the transfer failed, this could, it could fail because the sender didn't have enough to pay the total gas bill, or that start gas is the total number of steps. So if we run out of steps, then it will fail. And then what Ethereum will do is it'll take the whole state that it's changed and rewind it back. So it'll essentially make it look like the transaction never happened, except those processing fees will still get paid. And then if it's a successful transaction occurs, then it'll refund any gas fees that were not spent, that were not actually consumed. I want to end today with a quote from the white paper. What is more interesting about Ethereum is that the Ethereum protocol moves far beyond just currency. Protocols around decentralized file storage, decentralized computation, and decentralized prediction markets, among dozens of other such concepts, have the potential to substantially increase the efficiency of the computational industry and provide a massive boost to other peer-to-peer -peer protocols by adding for the first time an economic layer. Finally, there's also a substantial array of applications that have nothing to do with money at all. I like to take this quote because this is really the first thing that got me excited about like blockchain and crypto was the fact that Ethereum could run these smart contracts and I think this Web 3.0 is really going to be everything becoming decentralized, pulling apart the middleman. If anything was interesting to you and you want to talk more about it, or if something didn't make sense and you want clarification, feel free to reach out to me on either LinkedIn or Twitter at The Nerd Assassin. I'll include any links in the show notes as always. Until next time, have a nice day.